as much as we can like kind of sit in that victimhood and be like, oh, you know, my my dad did this and my mum did this and like my life is so difficult because of my parents. I personally believe, I don't know if you believe this, Christy, that we have like a soul contract and we come to this earth with a soul contract and like without first four planets in Gemini and we're here to do something, right? We're here to utilize our gifts and we're also here to do a lot of that shadow work and work through a lot of the pain and suffering from our family lineage and from those generations of trauma that our ancestors have survived and endured, you know, like we are the products of years and years of like war and famine and depressions and (laughs) recessions. And yeah, so it's pretty, it's a pretty big miracle that we're all here. You're listening to Christy Unedited, the podcast, and I'm your host, Christy Gray. Christy Unedited started as a raw and relatable conversation, and it always will be, but it's become so much more than that. Each week, a few special souls dish out some authentic truths as we navigate together the exploration of self. Thanks so much for listening. Let the magic begin. Hello, gorgeous, and welcome to this week's episode on the podcast. And this week, we have a powerhouse of a guest, but also I have a new product that I'm sharing with you for my pick of the week. So let's start with that, and then we'll dive into this week's episode. So a product that I am absolutely loving at the moment, this is another skincare-related one, Maybe there's a theme happening right now, babes. (laughs) But I have always looked for ways to, I suppose, give my skin the best possible chance that it has. And I try to eliminate derm treatments as much as possible. And I went to the Clean Beauty Market, which is a really great retailer on the Gold Coast here that sells an array of clean beauty items, as you probably know if you've been around here for a while, that that's definitely my preference. And I popped in there and picked up a couple of new things. And one of the products that I picked up is called a Lon Vitalite. Lon Vitalite. I think that's how you say it. It is a dermal roller and I'll link the brand in the show notes below, but I've actually never tried a at-home dermal roller before. What a dermal roller is, it's like a skincare tool and it contains tiny needles that help to gently penetrate the skin. Uh, This one here is a disposable micro needler micro needle roller which from google results it normally lasts about two to three months provided that you look after it and what it does is the needles penetrate the skin when you use it and it helps to stimulate collagen and elastin production you hardly even feel it at all Uh, it's just a I suppose a unique experience and there is definitely a right and a wrong way of how to use it because you just want to make sure that you're using it correctly. There's lots of great YouTube channels online um, that do showcase using a microneedle roller, (laughs) Um, but it's great for reducing any type of acne scarring, uh, first signs of aging, wrinkles, um, any type of like lines and wrinkles or de-aging concerns that you might have. I suppose how I've been using it and getting like a kick-ass result is I will use it every second night. I provide it, I haven't actually used it for the last week, but up until that I was using it every second night. Is cleansing my skin. I was using Alpha H Liquid Gold over my entire face because you know that's like my ride or die around here. And because it contains a cosmetic grade of alcohol, what it's doing, it's helping to lower your skin's pH. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to give my ki- my skin a little bit of a kickstart before I use the micro needler. So I use that over my entire face. I then go in and use the the roller on my skin um, in the directions that I saw on their website as they have a couple of tutorials of the best way to use it and then I actually follow up with either leaving my skin as is or following up with a serum or a moisturizer just to get that additional penetration so I cannot 
like highly recommended enough. It's been absolutely awesome. I've loved the results that I've been getting. I suppose the biggest thing that I've noticed is definitely how glowing my skin looks and the texture of my overall complexion. So it's, look, it's not going to change your skin dramatically overnight, but it's definitely going to help the penetration of your products uh, be able to absorb into the epidermis more effectively. So that's the 411 on that. All right, let's dive into this week's guest. So this week we have Brooke Nolly on the podcast and Brooke is a life and business coach. Brooke is always on the gram talking about the, I suppose, the importance of journaling, what it's like when you feel overwhelmed, how can you navigate that to the best of your abilities. She talks about asserting yourself and what I love about Brooke is she has a powerhouse of Gemini in her natal chart so this makes her an avid communicator. I love talking to Brooke in this episode because she even threw a couple of really great questions to me and that's what a coach does so I hope that you enjoy this episode and welcome to the podcast Brooke. So I'm with Brooke, the beautiful Brooke. Brooke Nolly is a life and business coach and I connected with Brooke through our virtual co-working sessions, which is through the Cool Wow Collective. And I loved it when I first connected with Brooke because I was like, this chick, she is like an epic communicator. I think I slid up into your DMs and I was like, you're such a good communicator. And then you were like, then you hit me with your like, birthday and I was like oh my god I need to drop your natal chart and I was like check out all that Gemini sister <laughs> and you know what like Gemini is I mean I see so many memes circulating the internet about how it's basically the most hated zodiac so I'm always like oh yeah I'm a Gemini and then I like kind of pop my hands up to my chin like oh, what are you gonna say <laughs> I think but yeah first four planets <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like seriously, like that Gemini energy in your chart is awesome. I love Gemini energy. I think that, well, I have a bit of a standing joke though. I'm like, you only need one great Gemini in your life because one is enough. But it's like you need one in your life because they are. You're the artful communicator of the Zodiac. We need Geminis to help us to seek perspective really quickly and then move the fuck on. Mm-hmm. Three of my best friends in high school were all Gemini and we we're all like two two weeks apart and that was just mayhem. <laughs> Did you guys get along well? Like what was that energy? We got like? along but there was a lot of conflict. Like it was okay. such a love-hate relationship between all three of us. Uh, I couldn't see that. Happening. Like we still love each other now and we all have obviously similar birthdays but it's hilarious. We'd always get into dramas and communication battles and things but yeah, we're still close. Yeah, nice. I would imagine there'd be some really amazing debate sessions that come, would come from that and it would be definitely oh. an ebb and flow of convo. I think that's the thing. I am a light debater, regardless of my okay. zodiac. Like I like to debate, but I don't like to get too serious and to the point where like it hurts people or it's offensive, right? Um and I find that I provoke a lot of people just by nature and I don't mean to. And then people start getting really kind of dogmatic and defensive toward me. And I'm like, oh, shit, you know, I'm, I'm quite light about this. And you're really angry. Like, I'm sorry that I provoked you. Do you think that maybe it's because of the not actually what you're saying, but maybe like not like the tonality, but maybe the words you're using? Because I think Gemini energy or some people are just quite direct when they communicate. Like some people are just great Mm. communicators. And I think when there's no fluff, because people Mm. like sometimes a bit of fluff, right? And if you're not like hitting them with the fluff, then they are triggered by that. I, you know me, I cannot do fluff. Like, I think that's one of the, one of the biggest pet peeves of my life is fluffy people. And that's something I really need to rein in because if someone is beating around the bush a lot and they're not getting to the point, I find it, I almost find it offensive because I'm like, you can't respect me enough to just be clear with me. And obviously that translates to what we're going to talk about anyway around like childhood programming. And what you experience growing up where, where sort of adults are like, oh, but you're a child, so we'll kind of be fluffy about what we tell you because you're a child and you don't need to know the full truth or whatever. And I think we would have, a lot of us would have experienced that with parents. And now as an adult, it's to the point where I'm like, no fluff allowed, whereas there should be some sort of fluff weaved into the blanket, you know? 
Mm, I think I'm here for like, let's be realistic. Well, I have a, like, I'm a bit of a storyteller. I love a bit of fluff, but at the same time, oh, same. it's like get still, there needs to be a point to it for me to mm-hmm. incorporate it. Because otherwise, if I was just talking in circles and it was all fluffy all the time, like I love spitting some truth and swearing and just like using disruptive <laughs> language, like to really disrupt those thought patterns as well. Totally. And I think what the the, the anti-fluff uh, that Brooke has in her mind is more around when you've got to have a serious or difficult conversation with someone, right? Makes sense. And it's like, look, this has probably gone on long enough. The person deserves a um, straightforward answer. Like, yeah, you can obviously be friendly and warm and like be personable and authentic and compassionate, but also get to the point. Like, you know, the worst thing is, is when you leave a conversation whether you're the giver or the receiver of the conversation and you're like, damn, I didn't quite get my point across. So now it's still confusing for the person, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, I work with a lot of clients that have a lot of friend breakups because it's like, Oh, I'm transitioning. I'm, I'm moving through my life so fast with all this growth. And you know, my friends that are drinking all the time and complaining about their partners and their lives and, you know, shopping to the ends of the earth. I don't, I don't have anything in common with them anymore, but I feel bad and so they'll kind of set a boundary and be like, oh, you know, I'm not going to come out tonight, but there'll be no reason for it. And that friend thinks, oh, what have I done? Or, and then there's just a lot of murky fluff hanging around where it's nice to kind of be like, right, I'm going to write a letter or I'm going to take to my journal. As you know, I'm a big journaler. And it's like figuring out how you could say it to this person in a way that is super authentic and compassionate, but it's also setting that boundary for you because you've got to do that in order to preserve your energy, right? Mm. it's funny because people are just shit communicators like really at the Mm. end of the day I think it's a skill and I've said this a few times where I actually think that they should teach communication in schools in schools like how can you communicate effectively with somebody else so that you can be able to meet the person where they're at because remember like Mm -hmm. not everyone communicates like we do right or like you might communicate even differently from me and so it's like being able to not only communicate what you want to say but also what the intention is behind what you're saying Mm -hmm. and then checking Mm -hmm. for understanding like there's so many layers to communication that I think people just discount. I agree and you talking about it being taught in school, I think that is super valid. And I also think parents, especially those helicopter parents that like to communicate on behalf of their children. So if you imagine like a younger child, you know, always having their mum as their spokesperson all the time, then they learn that, well, I don't really have a voice or my voice isn't necessary or I'm not heard. And they take that into adult life. And so then when their partner or their friend or whatever is like tell me what you're feeling like tell me what you mean they're just you know like their throat chakra just completely closes over because they've always been spoken on behalf of you know Mm, that childhood programming is the real deal baby all of (laughs) everyone's issues are like I always say on the pod I'm like all of my issues are from my daddy issues and like same and mommy my god (laughs) I thought it was daddy to start with and then I started digging deeper and I was like oh no mum had a play in this too what the heck yeah I would sue dog my mum she's definitely had a hand on some things but I try not to scream that from the rooftops too much because she thinks well she did the best job she could and I think this is the whole thing right and so did both my parents Uh, it comes down to that doesn't it it's like as much as we can like kind of sit in that victimhood and be like oh you know my my dad did this and my mum did this and like my life is so difficult because of my parents I personally believe, I don't know if you believe this, Christy, that we have like a soul contract and we come to this earth with a soul contract and like without first four planets in Gemini and we're here to do something, right? We're here to utilize our gifts and we're also here to do a lot of that shadow work and work through a lot of the pain and suffering from our family lineage and from those generations of trauma that our ancestors have survived and endured, you know, like we are the products of years and years of like war and famine and depressions and (laughs) recessions. And yeah, so it's pretty, it's a pretty big miracle that we're all here. Oh, 
could not agree with you more. Like, could not agree with you more. I truly believe that we all are here to do the work we're here to do. And I think we're just at different levels of soul ascension. So some of us mm-hmm. uh, have already worked through shit in previous lives and some of us are here are starting all over again. And it's up oh, to yes. us what we do with what we've been given, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you a question. <clears throat> when you had some sort of sort of spiritual awakening or great breakdown, as I like to call it, that kind of reframes your whole life. Um, what did you do with the existing friends that you would, or existing friends and colleagues that you'd quote unquote say were still living in the matrix and you felt really like isolated and alone? Yeah. How did you go with that? I was really lucky because of a couple of things that happened. So I am very dramatic. <laughs> I mean, same. <laughs> I'm going to blame my Mars and Leo that conjuncts my ascendant. So I'm like, do I like doing things a little bit of pizzazz. So I'd actually dropped yep. a friendship circle. So Saturn hits our natal chart every seven years. And it was, there was a time where there was a little bit of unease and I'd actually dropped a friendship circle that were in the matrix, but I had not ascended mm-hmm. yet because I hadn't hit rock bottom. But when I did Love hit it. rock bottom, I'd already surrounded myself with a couple of people that, yes, they were still partying and living a life I didn't want to live, but their moral code and compass was aligned with where we kind of all needed to go. So they were just great Mm. friends. So I was lucky. I had like, so my good friends, Sarah and Mon, who are still in my life today, they were there as I was transitioning into the new version of me. And Mm. Sarah kind of went on that journey with me and so did Mon. Yes, we went in different directions for a little bit, but we kind of regrouped in the end, whereas everybody else just flitted away. And I just kept doing me. And I think this is the thing. I'm so strong-minded. Like, I know what I want. I'm not going to let anybody else, like, dictate or influence me. I've always been like that. And so anybody that even questioned my new direction, I was like, nah, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) I fully get that. Um, The vulnerability at the start when you're like, yeah, so I'm going to like start my own business. I'm going to coach people or I'm going to mentor people. I'm going to read people's astrological charts or I'm going to do numerology readings. My parents are like, "Um, you should just get a real job. Like, how are you going to make money? And I'm like, I don't know, but I will figure it out. And my mum and both my dad were like, well, we both know that when you put your mind to something, it always works out. So we don't like not have faith in that. But they were worried about the fact that I had a mortgage to pay. And, you know, like, bloody hell, you've you've worked so hard and you've been to university and you've worked all over the world and amazing companies that pay a lot of money and you're going to go and start from scratch. And I think my biggest thing was living a life of too much gluttony. So that's my big thing is when I'm heavily in my ego or not centered at all, I am obsessed with consumption, consumption of expensive food, expensive wine, cocktails, hotels, (laughs) restaurants, beach clubs. I'm all about that life when I'm not centered. And that's what I had a lot of, like too much of. And then I had a massive breakdown and I became resentful of that entire life and all the people associated with that. When really, similar to you with like Sarah and Mon, a couple of my very, very close friends, they began to evolve when I evolved. We went in different ways for a little while, still kept in touch, still very much close friends. And now we're both in very different phases, um, but evolved phases and we've come back to each other. So I do believe I had to go through a period of extreme isolation, sadness, aloneness, like yearning and pining for a guy that was completely not for me. And that was my almost like beacon of hope during these very low times of wanting to create my business and start from scratch. So yeah, it's, it's a fascinating journey. And I do recommend that if anyone does have this happen to them, you have to ride the wave because the more resistance you have, uh, the harder it's going to be and the slower (laughs) your ascension is going to be. Yeah. 
Totally. So Brooke, can you share with us like a little bit of your backstory in regards to living like in corporate versus where you're at now? Because I would imagine like just even from what you're saying now that you almost grew resentment to your old lifestyle because there's probably a lot of emotion attached to that, but it's now trying to find that middle ground because I don't necessarily think that I think we love labeling things as human beings, like whether they're good or bad. But at the end of the day, wasn't that it was bad. It was just your experience in that Mm -hmm. chapter of your life. And now it's like reframing that. So you, yeah. So um, I've always been like a magpie um, in regards to like luxury affluence. Uh, I've always been hungry for success. Like, I'd look at people and be like, all right, that person has got a lot of wealth and a lot of freedom. Like I need to know them to know what it is that I've done to get that. So then I can do that because I want to be free. I don't want to ever rely on anybody. Um, That was kind of my old mindset, right? I don't want to ever have to rely on anybody. I want to garner as much independence as I can in order to never have to depend on another person. And that's once again, childhood programming, right? the earliest memory I have is like not feeling like I'm understood or able to go to anyone for the emotional support that I need. Right. And that translated into all I knew, which was like, if you get enough money and you get enough success and you achieve enough, then you'll be okay and safe on your own. So that's kind of the mentality that I had. And so I got a scholarship to go to the U S from university to work in like a three-month internship and it was unpaid and university gave me a stipend to do it and within the first like couple of weeks I was like I hate this um company (laughs) and the people there were just like very dry the company was going into receivership and I was just like okay well in typical Brooke fashion I'm just going to break the rules and I'm going to find another job because I want to stay in the US because like this is epic. This is San Francisco. This is Silicon Valley. Like every tech company is here. And I didn't even know that when I got there. I had no idea. And I met all these people on this ski trip um, that were Facebook product managers. And they were like, yeah, like you should just apply for a job like at Facebook or like I'll get you in contact with these people. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, success, success, like have to get out of this like shitty internship that I'm in. And I ended up getting a job at Pinterest and it was a part-time gig, but I was just so, my ego was so happy to be working at Pinterest. It was like, this is cool. No one else at 23 gets to work at Pinterest. And I was struggling because Pinterest was paying me marbles and I was only working part-time, but I had to try and make it work. Cause I was like, my ego was like, you can't leave. Like if you leave Pinterest, like where else are you going to go? Like, this is like the mecca of technology. And I was hustling like I was getting on buses for free because I couldn't really afford to pay rent my rent was like 1350 US dollars a month and I was working part-time and making like 400 bucks a week Um, my stipend was quickly running out and I eventually got a job with this guy in a startup and he ironically reminded me of every boss that I'd had in the past that I always ran into conflict with because I hated rules and being told what to do and being put in a box. And, and so then I quit that. And like, honestly, the inner rebel in me was just dire, no patience, no ability to like allow people to just show me the ropes or do what they want to do. It's like Brooks way or the highway was like my mentality and everyone else was wrong and I needed freedom. And so then I got a job at Dropbox And all my financial dreams came true because I was paid great money straight away. And there were all these perks like Michelin star food, gym, yoga, towel service, protein station, like team off sites, MacBook, like all the things. And I was like, oh my God, I'm living the dream. This is exactly what I've been working for. And um, I had great workmates. And obviously as a Gemini, I love to communicate, love to vibe with people, love to just be around people. And that's what kept me there. But the work was very boring. And then couldn't get another visa in the US. Was so devastated because I'd built my whole life there and I just loved it. Albeit I hadn't spoken to my dad in like three years. So I was carrying around a lot of like heavy weight. And then moved to London. Dropbox transferred me to London office. Hated that. See, there's a trend here. So ungrateful. Like hustling for what I want. Didn't like it. Um, 
but what I would see is like little things that sparked kind of my inner humanitarian, like all this free food that we were getting and all of this sort of elaborate stuff was not going to the poor at all. So basically we'd have all this beautiful spread of food every day at Dropbox in London and there would be 25 people in the office and it would be there to cater for like say 70 people and like say 20 people are working from home and then there's all the surplus food and it just goes into the trash because they're like oh but it's contaminated because it's been open and I'm like oh my gosh there's all these people in Oxford Circus and in the tube like starving and so I just I started to question like what my incentives were and I was like this is ridiculous and then from there I went from the field to the fire I went to an electronic bank in Canary Wharf, which is essentially, you know, tra- ex-traders, people from Credit Suisse and JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley and like kind of all that finance vibes. And I was like, oh, this is kind of itching that scratch of success. Like I get to wear pencil skirts and look great, but it's still technology. And like, I feel like so in power because I have so much responsibility here because it's a startup and I just got given so much responsibility, um, but I couldn't handle it, right? And so then that's when the self-deprecation happened of like, yeah, you want all the accolade and you want everything to look good, but like you don't want to do the hard grunt work that goes with that. All these people are self-sacrificing here. Like you're not willing to do that. There's something wrong with you. And from there, I just had like a massive breakdown and I was just like, I can't do this. I can't work in this corporate world. I can't be around these people that are like surface level. And what I wasn't realizing is I was surface level as hell. I was just hungry for success in the old paradigm of what success is. And so my old life was going out for like ceviche and the gronies every night of the week and going on yachts in Ibiza. And then <laughs> now my life is going out and grounding my feet in the grass, going for walks, spending 80% of my time alone, cooking all of my own food. Like, you know, it's kind of, and like you said, you're finding that middle ground, right? So I still love good restaurants and great food, but I don't really drink anymore because alcohol was the root cause of a lot of my self-destruction and yeah I'll enjoy the odd glass of wine now but I certainly don't binge drink because I just can't anymore so that's my life in a very massive nutshell my goodness (laughs) like I I do you know what I love probably the most out of your story is that the massive introspection that has come with it like Mm because it take it's the heart the the most rewarding relationship that we ever have is the relationship we have with ourselves but it's also the hardest relationship to have because you have to go inwards <clears throat> to really unpack and pull back the layers of who am i what do i want what am i when i don't have a label or a title what does success mean to me all of mm. these things and i think that's why all the, especially with the clients that i work with it's like that is the hardest thing to do is to go inwards and trust yourself enough throughout the process who am i when i don't have a title that is the best question to ponder because i have self identified with my work for way too long And that's something I'm actually ironically transitioning out of now Um, because it's gone from, you know, working in tech to then being a coach. And that's my identity. But I'm like, actually, being a coach is like 20% of who I am, right, or 15% of who I am. And every human is very multifaceted. But because I somehow got obsessed with career from such an early age because of this whole obsession with freedom – that career was how I self-identified. So it was like, if my career was successful in the old paradigm, then I'm worthy. I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of belonging. I'm worthy of respect. I'll be seen. And what I most recently discovered was I essentially got rid of all that makes me feminine and all that makes me me when I was working in banking because I wanted to be at the boys' table. I wanted to sit at the table. I wanted to be one of the guys that got the respect that the guys got. And that's essentially what I created. I became one of the boys and then lost myself and then would be craving intimacy and connection. But every guy that I was working with would look at me like a bloke. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so out of whack. I need to really regroup and do some more reflection on this too. 
Yeah, it's that balance of the masculine energy versus mm. feminine energy and knowing when to turn it on and off. Because I have two thoughts on that. My first thought is is I was in my masculine for such a long time in the corporate world. Um, I was mm. uh, I identified with what my title was. And even after I left the corporate industry, if people asked like what I did, I would still, I would like kind of brush over the coaching part. I'd be like, oh, I'm starting a business, but I used to be the training manager of oh, Sephora Australia. Me too. <laughs> because it was like, like <laughs> we felt like not successful, right? Because we were so self-identified with that label. So people would be like, oh, so like, what are you doing now? Like, how can you be a life coach? You're like not even trained. So then that would hit my ego being like, oh my God, I'm not even trained. Like I'm probably going to be a failure, but I'd be like, but guess what? Like I used to have this like really successful life and I used to like go to Ibiza and Vegas and be in cabanas and life was so amazing. It's like, no, it wasn't Brooke. You hated that and you had a mental breakdown. But like when people were fragilely asking you, oh, so wait, what do you do? And you're just like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I have to pull that label back out that I used to use because it used to be make me feel safe and seen. I still yeah, what the fuck? I did that for like a year after like oh, leaving, and I went into this actually. I went into this global. So what happened was when I moved back to the Gold Coast, I actually wanted to just work in my business, and then I had a beauty brand um, approach me to come and do some part time work for them, which ended up being the part-time job that I was meant to be doing three days a week turn into me doing, looking, becoming their global education manager. For, mm. And then I did roll out and like, I think I traveled to like six countries in six months and I found myself going down that path again. But it was funny because mm. even in that role, people would be like, oh, are you in this brand now? And I didn't see this brand as being successful. Like, I love the brand. It's amazing. And even though I was in a global role, I'd still talk about my Sephora role because I was like, that to me in my mind was like the pinnacle. So I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm here, but I talk about the Sephora role. It's funny how we do that to like make ourselves, like our ego, like feed into our ego ourselves feel better. Our egos are just so prominent in all aspects of our lives. And we think we conquered bits of them we're like oh yeah cool I'm so woke and then it's like bang this part of your ego that you didn't even know about um how about the archetypes that you tend to encounter in work that was a big one for me like I would always encounter the same kind of boss everywhere I went until I worked through that karma so it'd be like this person's name is Henry this person's name is Sarah this person's name is Melody but they are all a similar archetype that is really really getting to Brooke and she is like oh this person ah it's interesting I haven't had that same encounter I've had definitely people that are there's been like a lesson in that chapter I've need to mm-hmm. like the micromanaging boss I had to do de- like deal with mm-hmm. that because it built a good foundation so I was compliant then I had the boss that like gave me the freedom but then like would emotionally drill me on certain things yeah Mm. so that I was always second guessing myself but it was also what I needed to kind of get me to where I needed to go but I didn't have the repetitive pattern which sounds like what you had so it seems like you learned your lesson in each process whereas for me it would be like oh this job sucks I'm gonna quit and then I'd go to the next job and I'd be like same archetype how are you going and I'm like oh this person sucks too next job it's like ah broke knock knock when are you gonna learn your lesson yeah yeah I think yeah I think that that is exactly what it is right it's like karmic lessons or lessons that you actually need to work through but I think that maybe how do I put it I think that I just always, I'm a forward, I'm like a forward thinker. So I'll just go, Mm. and also too, I was probably more compliant than you would have been. So I would have just had head down, forward thinking, I need to go where I need to go, whereas I probably have stepped more into embraced all the fire in my natal chart in my 30s whereas mm. in my 20s, I didn't do that whereas you being a probably a bit of a rebellious um, nature hence why mm. it was slightly different for you navigating that in the corporate world. If anyone um, that's listening wants to do a personality test that is a real reality check 
um, Jordan Peterson, who's a Canadian clinical psychologist. He's got a test called Understand Myself. Ah, and you can find it at understandmyself.com. And it's the big five. So it's openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And then it has subcategories from those from those big five that um, calculate your personality in a way based on some questions, right? And they've got a pool of, I think, 10,000 people within it. And what I found very alarming and overwhelming and quite sad really was my level of politeness compared to majority of the population was at the zeroth percentile, which means that I, um, I'm very non-polite um, when it comes to hierarchies and people that are in positions of, say, power or that demand respect. So if someone is like, you know, like the president of some company, I'm going to treat them very similarly to the person that is, you know, the BDM or someone that is in a lower level role. Like I don't really, I don't see hierarchy. And what I realized is a lot of people that demand hierarchy that obviously like heavily in the egos being like, you should respect me. You should, you know, really respect me for what I've done and how far I've come and how much I've earned this title, um, get very triggered by that. And then I would get bullied in a way or like put in my place kind of thing because I wasn't bowing down and kissing their feet. And so I really realized that with this personality test, it was like, oh, damn, compared to majority of people, no wonder I felt really alone in that because other people didn't have an issue with just respecting that person or doing as they said. Whereas for me, it was like, no, it's always been a firm no. And it's something I've grappled with a long time. Both my parents are like, Brooke, just give it up. Just let it go. And I'm like, I can't. Like, this person's wrong. Like, this needs, justice needs to be sought, you know? And it's just as tiring as hell. And like, when I've got no one on my journey with me, I'm like, fine I'll take it all with me and I've got all the like heavy gear I'm carrying it and I'll just keep going because <laughs> this is not right that's emotional weight to carry that's like yep. somewhat an unnecessary in the sense of if you're the one that's putting yourself through it I can that would be heavy babe yeah it's that's it and so coming to realize that now um I've been slowly but surely you know, ditching quite a few suitcases and yeah, it's life changing. It's a lot lighter, but um, yeah, learning that as a teenager and in my early twenties was just mayhem. Yeah. Have you, re- I haven't read Jordan Peterson's book, The 12 Rules for Life. I've got it downstairs and still haven't read it. Cause every time I pick it up, I'm like, oh shit. I don't even know if I want to tap into that, but I love him. I've had listened to him on Joe Rogan a couple of times now. Mm, he's great. Hey, I haven't read 12 Rules for Life. The way he writes, like, I would consider myself a fairly intelligent person, but the way he writes is so academic and so, um, God, how would I even put it? Like, a lot of, like, mythology and archetypes. And, yeah, it's just very dense. So I find myself reading, say, like, a page, and then I'm Googling some of the meanings of the words, and then I just get very impatient. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm like, I can't do it. I've tried to, and I'm just like, I don't think I can, but I'll listen to him like on a podcast or something. That's going to be easier for me to digest because mm. I don't know. I don't think I, oh, I, I like a bit of fluff when I read. I think like if it's too academic, mm. I'm just, I'm done. It's, I don't think I've got, I like, you're the same fan. as me. Storytelling. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right? Hence why Glennon Doyle's book Untamed is so relatable because it's a, it's literally storytelling after storytelling and people can relate to stories. Yeah, totally. That's what people want. They just want stories. Yeah. They don't want theory. Yeah, we want to feel good, have a great story, something to captivate us throughout the process. But I have to say you are an avid journaler, babe, slash reader. I'm always seeing you like journaling for like 45 minutes and I'm like, oh, yeah. this girl, she's got shit going on. <laughs> It's ridiculous. Like, this is my journal. It's an A4 black one. And I journal a shitload, like, just nonstop. Um, not as much now. Like, and, I, and by not as much, everyone else is going to be like, that's a lot. Um, I used to journal six to seven days a week, 45 minutes a day. And now I probably journal four days a week or between 45 minutes to an hour and a half. 
But what I'm doing sometimes when I'm journaling is I'll have a thought that needs to be actioned there and then and I'll pause my journaling and I'll action that thought and then I'll come back to it. So that's what helps me be productive is my brain is like a worm farm or like a can of worms opened, you know, like it's very all over the place all the time. So if I don't meditate, journal, exercise, get out in nature, like I'm not quote unquote productive because I just have so many possibilities and avenues of where I want to go and I just feel very ungrounded. So journaling for me is a way to dump all of the fluff and really hone in on the things that need to be actioned in order to make my life more streamlined and efficient and easier. So if you are a creative brain like me, say you're ENFP or INFP or ENTP on the Myers-Briggs personality type, or you're an Enneagram 8 or an Enneagram 2 or an Enneagram 4, then you are probably going to grapple with the same kind of thing where you need to synthesize those thoughts that come all the time Mm. and not to mention astrology right but astrology is not in my vocabulary really but I suppose if you're a Gemini you're going to need that girl or boy yeah it's normally the cerebral signs so ear signs being Gemini Libra and Aquarius because they're so Mm. cerebral the the thoughts are like in loop state and so any time that they can get those thoughts onto paper it's or at least communicate them out to somebody else like my best friend Sarah is a Libran um and like she just needs to talk shit out and so we voice note most of the day because it's just because I love (laughs) connection and B she needs to like chat so yeah totally so like you know and I think that that's really important but also too it depends like that's just such a generalization if we talk astrology for a moment um looking to where like your mercury is placed so what where's mercury placed what zodiac sign mercury in because mercury is in our intellect and it's also how we synthesize Mm -hmm. information and then how we communicate Mm -hmm. that to others so that will determine whether the person um, I find can sit in traditional meditation or is their meditation going out grounding walking Mm. connecting with mother nature hugging a tree or is it like being in water and going for a swim because it helps everyone kind of will channel inwards in a different way and I think the more you can explore different modalities and then cherry pick what feels good for you that is the raddest thing for me, um, I never thought that I would be able to meditate because I had a million thoughts and I, I everyone gets that, right? Like everyone has that concept of like, I can't sit still because I have a million thoughts or what's the point? I don't get it. Now, every morning without fail, I do an unguided meditation for 40 minutes and I just do this mudra and then I just start an arm in my mind. And some days it's like the most challenging thing in the world but I sit through it. And then other days I'm like, wow, that went really fast. Um, did I do that straight away? No, it was like five minutes. And then it was a 10 minute guided one. And then I was like, Oh, I'm going to do this manifestation one and this abundance one and this forgiveness one and this, you know, like affirmation one. And over time I realized I'm giving my energy to way too many things, which is actually draining me more than anything. So unguided is the answer for reclaiming a lot of your own energy because as soon as you start your day, the demands of life are taking small pieces of your battery, like your iPhone battery. So this podcast, for argument's sake, taking a small amount of my iPhone battery and then I'll have a conversation with my mum and then I will read a book and that's taking more energy. And like, and then so what it is, it's just kind of like emptying that space, right? I don't need to teach you about meditation. You know all about it, but for people that are listening that maybe want to adopt a meditation practice, I would say that starting out just with like two to five minutes unguided on insight timer every day will change your life drastically more than any coach, healer, Reiki practitioner, astrologer, you know, anything. Yep. 100%. Yeah, well, I think there's because you're not only channeling inwards and you're creating stillness. There's a, like as human beings, we love to win. And I think when you have achieved oh, that. God, don't even talk to me about winning. <laughs> Another obsession of mine. <laughs> but it's like a 
human being thing. We love to win and tick a box. So as soon as you know you've ticked that box, you feel like you've been able to cultivate that discipline. And so you're like, winning. (laughs) And it makes you then come back and do it the next day or do it for longer or whatever it may be. And the making of the bed, like every day make your bed and the doing of the dishes, right? It's like don't leave that pot soaking in the sink overnight unless you've truly burnt the shit out of the couscous or whatever that you made. <laughs> but like let that let that be washed and put away or out to dry. So you make wake up in the morning and you see that, you know, your dishwasher is clean or your pots are dry and you can put them away. And then that's like putting away yesterday's energy, starting fresh. Yeah. Um, I'm a big advocate for that because for people like me and maybe even people like you, Christy, that are naturally pretty creative and pretty dismissive of menial tasks that are like boring and not inspiring and motivating and exciting and riveting, um, tend to neglect those parts of themselves, which are where true creativity lies in the menial, right? It's like a very Buddhist philosophy of how they sweep leaves and how they do dishes and do very basic tasks because that is what helps you and your creative brain. You know, people's best ideas are in the shower when they're washing themselves or when they're scrubbing a pot or where it doesn't take a lot of brain power, but you're able to kind of get into that flow. Mm. Yeah. Not everybody is like that though. Oh, I know. And I don't think you're probably like that because you're a Jay in Myersburgs, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I think so. I can't remember. Yeah, I think I am. Yeah. Ian, oh, I'd have to look. ENFJ? I'm the, I'm the same as Oprah. <laughs> I think ENFJ or I, are you introverted or extroverted? Extroverted. <laughs> okay, so you're probably like ENFJ or ESFJ, something like that. Um, if you're a J, you're usually more methodical and clean in regards to like everything has a place whereas if you're a p you're a little no. bit more like oh where'd i put my keys where's my wallet oh my god i freaking left that at the yoga studio or oh no you know, way like, less mm, I, a lot of people are like that well i have three planets in virgo and they're in my first house so even though i have all this fire in my chart and i love drama and all this jazz like i am like <laughs> you should see my house like if you come to my house like everything has a place it's very minimal it's like i create a vibe here i like i can't yep. i can't have mess around me or clutter i'm always decluttering like if i marie condo my wardrobe i'm having like i feel amazing i feel centered Amazing. Me too. I love that. I make all of my clients do that in our first week working together. Our first theme is always environment and it's like purge, getting rid of relationships that don't serve you, clothing, ornaments, knickknacks, all of the things. Gone. Yeah. Okay. So can you tell me a little bit about that and the work that you do with your clients? Because you've had this massive shift in your life moving from corporate Mm -hmm. into your own business. So you've done a lot of self-exploration I'm picking up. And so now Mm -hmm. what does that look like in regards to what have you learned that you now encourage your clients to do that helps to set them up for success? Nice. Uh, what I've learned is, and this obviously boils back to Jordan Peterson's most basic of videos where it's like, bring order to the chaos, right? Bring order to the chaos of your mind, of your surroundings, of your yeah. life. And I think for me, I was always far too focused on fun, um, excitement, grass is greener, freedom, new shiny things, the magpie. And I would never stick to anything for long enough to really reap the benefits of what, you know, reap what you sow. And the clients that I tend to attract are naturally quite scattered, very creative, open-minded, but can't stick to anything, get down on themselves, high expectations of themselves, low expectations of others. Uh, They are people-pleasing. They tend to get very overwhelmed by life, like overwhelmed by their to-do list, the admin tasks, the expectations of others, that they end up not taking action. And so the inaction breeds a lack of confidence and then it's a downward spiral from there and then it's very much a low self-worth thing that we're working with. And the reason that 
I work with these people is because I've been in their shoes, right? So it's when you're highly capable of doing many things, but you choose to do nothing because everything overwhelms you. So what I do with these clients is I do teach them the basics. So I'm a massive, massive advocate for morning routines. So meditation, journaling, uh, getting in nature, putting your feet in the grass, grounding yourself, um, moving your body, getting out of your head into your body. Like a lot of people don't exercise enough and that is like 80% of their problems. Um, We work through a lot of obviously childhood programming. So relationship with mum, relationship with dad, what's it like, what happened? You know, give me, give me all of the details because from there we start to unlock things. Within my group program, we work through themes. So like I just said, week one's theme, environment, massive purges. I get everyone to do lives within a private group. So then people are continually updating, getting to know one another. They're building their confidence through sharing, through communication, even though everyone hates it at the start. Um, and I don't even usually tell anyone that we do it until they've signed up. So then they don't have to go, Oh, I'm really, I just really don't want to do the lives. I'm not going to sign up. Um, (laughs) and yeah, I think like for me, I always, I never have an issue when, you know, when people are like attract more clients or like use this, it could be a good way to get clients. I feel like yes, exposure is wonderful, but it's almost like the universe always delivers you the people that you need to work with. Yeah, and maybe that's just immense trust that I have, but that's certainly been my experience that everyone I've worked with, uh, I have been in their shoes at some point in my life and I have navigated some sort of obstacle that they have. So say I get on a discovery call with someone and I don't resonate with what they're going through, I won't work with them because what's the point in trying to pretend or go through, you know, it just, it doesn't make sense for me. So I work very intuitively with my work. I'm very unstructured, but I have enough structure to give people that are very structured their, okay, cool, this is structure. Yeah. It's like you (laughs) you need to tick their internal box of what's in it for them so that they feel they're getting that experience, right? Yeah, and then they get started and they're like, oh, my God, I would have never imagined this. And I'm like, yeah, you can't forecast the way that this works out before you begin. Yeah. Yeah, I love that though. Like it I love any type of intuitive work. I think I think there's something to be said for it because I think everybody's intuitive. I talk about this a lot like on the pod. Mm. I think everyone's intuitive. We have different levels of um how intuitive we are. We also to um can choose whether we want to in- tune into that, yeah. but I think the best people that work intuitively will get a far greater result than if you don't center and tune into what you're actually thinking and feeling in that moment and what's the best advice to give somebody and I think I've leaned on my intuition far more in the last five years than I've ever done before and I'm Mm. grateful for it. Me too and I think you know like a lot of people go to me oh my gosh how do you get anything done all you do is self-care like you know, even in Coolwell, you know, people are like, Jesus, Brooke, like you're just meditating and then you're journaling and then you're F45ing and then you're doing yoga and then you're going for beach walks for an hour. Like when do you do any work? And I believe that when I do all of those things, like that's filling my cup. And then my intuition is so on point for my clients that I've got so much spaciousness and I've obviously reflected a lot of my own life, my own learnings, the wisdom I've derived from that that when I'm talking to them and we go through a problem together, it's like, oh, whoa, penny drop moment. And I feel like I can only provide those penny drop moments when I've obviously spent a lot of time within because that's where all my lessons are and that's why these people are working with me because a lot of the stuff they're going through, I've already been through. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can just be completely in the moment and then have the – you're almost cultivating a power, an internal power to a certain extent to be able to it tune is. into their is. frequency. Yeah. And, uh, and B, I, I call it, it's like knowing what, like, what are the right questions to ask in the very right moment. And I think that, like, that is my favorite thing as doing the work I do. And I'm, I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are as that is what I love the most is being so present and just knowing to ask them will be the right question at the right time. It's like a skill that you master. And when you get that and that person has that light bulb moment, like it's them, they're the one having it. There is nothing greater in my life than that. 
<laughs> Me too. Oh my God. It's like literally what I live for. And yes, I am not in a intimate relationship right now. So maybe that will change where, or if I have kids eventually, but right now that is literally what I live for is when I'm having a conversation with a client and the penny drop moment for them is just like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. I can't even believe that I've been so blind to that for so long or wow, yes, going to do that. And then they're getting motivated by their own learnings is just, oh yes. What <laughs> what my lesson is and like kind of the shadow state of coaching is when I get clients and this will happen for every coach and person that works with someone for a long period of time that will go week in, week out and not prioritize their inner work and so they're like oh I've just I've been so busy this week and like my kids been doing this and then I got sick on Tuesday and then you know like ran over the cat like no but you know but like all these kind of excuses and you know week in week out if that's the case and I'm showing up as the coach creating space for them because I'm opening that that stage for them to like help them and they're not willing to help themselves that is where I need to learn that you can only lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink, right? So you're sometimes going to get those clients that are like really excited to do the work at the start and then they realize it's actual work and they're like, oh, damn, I'm not willing to slow down at work. I'm not willing to stop people pleasing. I'm not willing to say no to those people and set boundaries. So yeah, that's a, a really good lesson for me and a good lesson for those clients that I that I have attracted in the past. Mm, I think that people think that that you might be the one changing their life when really it's them that have to change their life at the end of the day. But that's the joys of working in the industry that we do or even working with people. When you're the catalyst for change, you experience, yeah. And I think it's hard, like it was hard for me to digest in the moment because I just wanted to help help people like that was my thing like I was like I want to be a coach because I want to help people and empower people and then you have a couple of clients and they're like they don't even want to help themselves and you're like oh shit okay this is a little different than I first anticipated totally and when you first start you do get those those I don't even know how to describe them just completely unaligned people that are not meant to work with you um but what it taught me was where was I not stepping in? Yeah. So I was, and, and it goes back to that conversation we had earlier around the whole, like, I'm a coach, but I used to work at Pinterest or I'm a, I'm an astrologer, but I used to have a really beautiful career at Sephora. Um, and it goes back to that. And I think when we are not fully stepping into our power of like, I'm a coach, I'm embodied, this is what I'm doing. I'm fully committed. Then the clients we tend to attract at that point of time are not, fully committed right they're sort of teetering on yeah and then you're just like I'm so annoyed but really we're not annoyed at them we're annoyed at ourselves for not getting to that next phase yeah it's yeah I completely agree I'm sitting with that right now because I um had a massive light bulb (laughs) moment (laughs) I like I'm in this girl (laughs) yeah I'm in this like period of like retrograde season slash it's funny, I'm about to come full 360 circle again and I knew it was bubbling under the surface, which is really exciting. But it's funny how when you step into business, you have a vision of what you think it will look like and then it changed and it evolves. And every six months, my business has evolved in some way that I never anticipated. And then it's almost like it's in this next period of evolution. I have so much mutability in my chart anyway. I need change. It's important to me. But to see it change again, but then come home 360, like, because learning and development's been a part of my career for the last 10 years and incorporating more and more of that moving forward is where my business is going. It's the direction that it needs to go and it's exciting. At the same time, it's like, shit, that's what I've been doing all along. I just like thought I had to go and do this to have this label to do something else in business. It's weird how the universe does that sometimes. Totally. And if you're not changing, then yeah. You're very stagnant, and stagnance is not fun. It's very bland. As Tony Robbins would say, if you're not growing, you're dying. So dramatic. I know. I was going to say that, and then I was like, oh, that's a bit morbid. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think in regards to our businesses and how they evolve, I believe as a coach, 
uh, or as, say, a just human in general, the more you evolve, the more your business is naturally going to evolve. So if you're like me and you are always learning and absorbing and applying and shifting and like that's your purpose, then your business in even two months or even a week is going to be so different than what it was. You know, like every group program I do, they wind up being same, same, but different. So there'll be some sort of similar foundation, but then the people that I attract are completely different to the quarter before. Mm. That's kind of cool though. I kind of like that because it's Love like... Because it. I'm a variety seeker. I'm like, yeah, this is epic. New people, different vibes. I love that. That's so good. So you're, I, I'm guessing that you're going through like even a bit of evolution right now with... Oh, massively. Like in regards to, um, I, was, I was on virtual co-working with you yesterday and you were talking about like even changing the direction with one of the um, workshops that you're hosting this weekend as well. And mm-hmm. so what does that look like for you, Brooke? Like you're obviously going through this evolution, you're leaning into that. How are you feeling about changing, like changing that inner narrative momentarily? It's really scary because... The stuff that I will now be teaching is stuff that I was processing and working on for two and a half years. So it was always just with me, myself, and my journal, all of the things that I was working through. And I was very much still coaching all of the people coming out of corporate or coming out of work or people that were in jobs that weren't satisfying for them, um, working with people that were very much in the in the like tug of war with like mum and dad issues, which I will still work with probably for the rest of my life. But that was a real focal point because that's what I had been focused on and working on for so long. Now I'm transitioning more into relationships. So women and men that have self-identified with someone for far too long, over-romanticized that person, uh, you know, have have this dream of this life together with this person and this person is not even available for you emotionally or remotely communicating with you. Uh, you believe that they are the only one that gets you, that understands you, that is your sort of soulmate, twin flame, you know, that kind of process. Uh, that is the direction that I'm heading toward in my business is helping Obviously, probably more women because I'm a woman and like my experience is very much as a woman uh, with this whole obsession with another person because what it boils down to is all of the traits that you are so in awe of and fascinated with and in love with in that other person are all the untapped traits within yourself. And that was my massive journey for two and a half years of unfurling all of the things that I really found um, attractive in this other person were actually in me but very much sort of untapped so it's a very long process because the yearning and the believing that that person is your soulmate uh, doesn't really disappear so as much as you try to date other people and you know forget about them and move on and like burn letters and do ceremonies and all of the things that we all in our woo-woo worlds do uh you still are very much like connected in some sort of way and I think that the universe dishes you up a time frame and it won't last forever I promise you but when you're in it it feels like it is not gonna go away especially when like a year or two goes by and you're like, all right, I'd actually like a break. I'd like to meet someone that's not this person, but also we're not really willing to let it go. Yeah. So that is where my, my coaching is kind of heading down uh, is, yeah, that, that's probably more going to be one-on-one because it's pretty intimate, intense work. Whereas the group is still for the scatterbrains that are in work that they don't like, that are, you know, like not functioning properly and feeling like the world is a bit much. I like that. That's that's so needed because there's so many people I even know of that have this mm. idea around twin flame, soulmate, and I think even as soon as you label that, it's Boxes it's hard away. to let go of. Yeah, it's hard to let go of and. I yeah there's been a couple of clients I've worked with in the last couple of years where they've got that idea made up in their mind and it's just so hard to let it go and yeah honestly and um the workshop that I'm hosting this Sunday is for those women that are like I kind of 
want to know what the hell is going on here. I'm also not willing to let go. So I don't want this workshop to be something that I'm like, you know, have to let go. Uh, It's more just going to be an informative workshop on like why this is happening for you and kind of a sharing of my story and how that can relate to what your next best steps are going forward. Oh, I like that because I think the more that you share a little bit of your story and what you've experienced, that's going to help people yeah. to be able to relate to you and also know how you can help them at the end of the day. Totally. And I think um, the most epic leaders in the world are amazing storytellers. So I've actually only got a couple of questions left for you, but um, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we wrap up? Uh, if you wanted to get in touch with me, you can head to my Instagram. That's where I'm most active. Um, it's Brooke Nolly. And, uh, in regards to working with me, I take discovery calls for one-on-one and group. So I don't usually advertise on my site, you know, big launches or anything. It's more like everything is on my Instagram and it's pretty low key because I only coach up to six women within group. And then one-on-one is obviously a very personal, intimate thing. So, yeah, that's all I have to add around how to find me. Awesome. And I'll link everything in the show notes below so people can find you. And last but not least, what is an epically small moment that you have experienced lately? Um, An epically small moment that I've experienced? Uh, Literally the joy when I have a coffee that is a decaf because I can't do caffeine because I'm scatterbrained. Um, when I have a decaf coffee in the morning and I like nail the portion of the scoops and that's what I did this morning and it was just so freaking satisfying. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. If you love this conversation, please rate it, review it, or send it to somebody that may vibe with it. Or you can subscribe to stay up to date with the latest. I'll catch you next time.